Good morning, Hope Vale. Will you please stand and worship with us this morning? As we lift the name of Jesus high in this place. this gorgeous memorial weekend to worship with us, to lift the name of Jesus high. Why don't you go ahead before you're seated and greet a few people around you.
Well, good morning again, everyone. How are we doing today? It's a beautiful day outside. I was driving in going, oh, it's so gorgeous. Um, welcome to Hope Vale again. My name is Sam. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. I just have one announcement for us uh, today. Uh, Bible camp signups are still happening. Um, you can sign up your child as a camper or you can sign up as a volunteer. And there's two ways to do that. Um, you can do that from the comfort of your ho- own home at BibleCamp Bible at HopeVale.org. That's the web uh, site to go to. And you can you know, click on the two links there. There's one for a camper, one for volunteer, or you can sign up in our lobby after the service at one of the two desks. Um, you could do that. So uh, please sign up. It, it'll, it's going to be an awesome, awesome week in June. Um, we need volunteers, but we also need as many campers as possible to make this an awesome, awesome week. So uh, that's going on. Today we have a, a great service planned for you. We're going to sing. We're going to spend some time worshiping God. Um, we're going to learn from God. Dan's going to uh, come out a little bit later and open up God's Word and, and teach on the subject of anger again. Um, we're going to spend some time um, sharing communion together a little bit later on. But right now we get to worship um, by giving back just a portion of what God has blessed us with as the ushers uh, come forward to gather this morning's offering. Why don't we go to God in prayer? God, we just uh, we thank you for... Um, today, we thank you for just a, a beautiful morning, and God, we, um, we thank you for um, just all that you've blessed us with, and God, we, we want to spend this morning worshiping you and lifting you up high and lifting your name up, and uh, God, like that first song says, we just, we welcome you here, and uh, God, as we, um, we learn from you, as we hear from uh, your word later on, God, that our hearts will be open and receptive to to lean into what you want to teach us today and that we would, um, that we would uh, walk out of here different than when we came in. And God, as we even celebrate communion later on and we remember the death of Jesus on the cross and what that means for us, God, I pray that that would be something that we would remember daily, um, that it would be something that would affect how we live our lives on a daily basis. And God, as we even give back our, our, our offerings to you, the God, we just we recognize that you've blessed us, and we just want to give back a portion of that out of a cheerful heart. And so, God, uh, as we do that, we know that you're going to take that money, and you're going to use that to bless um, many other people and do ministry in the hearts of many other people around here. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. And here's my heart.
seated. You know, I love that song. I love the words of that song. Especially as we think about communion, I love the, the second verse of that song. It says that you stood before my failure and you carried the cross for my shame. And my sin weighed upon your shoulders. And then as we see that picture of Jesus on the cross and what, what that means, our response can only be to offer our hearts completely to you. It's the message of the gospel. It's that Jesus Christ took my sin, he took my shame, he took my place, and he offered me life, he offered me hope, he offered me forgiveness of sins, even though I don't deserve it and didn't earn it. What a beautiful message. And so then at the end of the song, it says, you know, we stand with our hearts just wide open to God in full surrender to him and saying, God, I'm completely yours. That's what what communion is. It's a remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me, even though we could never earn it and we could never deserve it. Romans chapter 5 tells us that, that even while we were in the midst of our sins, even while we were in the midst of going against God, not even thinking about going God's way, that, that Jesus Christ died for us. What a beautiful thing. It's that he offers us something we could never earn, we could never work for, and we never deserve. And he says, yet, I'm going to give it to you through the death of my son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And so we come to, to communion to remember that, to celebrate that, to think about that. Communion here at Hopevale is, is just a, a beautiful reminder to us That even in the midst of not being able to deserve it, God loves us and sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And so um, if if you're here, hopefully that message is true about your life and it's something that we can draw back on often, but communion is a special time to think about it, to reflect on it, and to remember it. We we say around here at Hopevale that you don't have to be a member of our church to to take communion with us, that it's The only stipulation that we ask is that you be a follower of Jesus Christ, that at some point in time in your life, that commitment was made, that you said yes to Jesus, that you said, I'm going to follow Jesus with my life. And so if that describes you, um, we would love for you to participate with us here this morning to remember the death of Jesus Christ on the cross as we pass the elements. If that does not describe you here this morning, um, we would just ask very respectfully, that as the elements are passing by, that you would just let them pass on by. And we ask that out of, 
out of two reasons. First is just out of a respect of what we're doing here, out of what it means for, for those of us um, who are partaking in it, the, the depth of, uh, of what we're trying to remember. And we also ask that out of just respect for yourself because we wouldn't want you to participate in something uh, that just would be this um, religious experience that had little to no meaning for your life. Um, so as those are going, if that does describe you, if you would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, we just ask that you would put, let those pass by. But we would also ask that you would take this time to really just reflect on the question, who is Jesus to you? What does the cross of Jesus Christ mean to you? What, what are the things that we just sung about and the things we just talked about? What does that mean to you? If you are a parent of a child and your child's here with us this morning, um, we would just ask that you would use your parental discretion. If they have accepted Jesus Christ, if they are a follower of Christ, then we would say, you know, we, we would want them to participate with us, but we want you as a parent to make that call, okay? We want you to, to uh, use your discretion on that one. And if, if they aren't, maybe this would be a great teaching opportunity to be able to talk to um, your son or daughter about, or your child about who Jesus is and what the cross means. So as we... Um, as we remember uh, the cross and as we go and, and um, have the bread this morning as the ushers come forward to, to pass that out, why don't we go to God in prayer? God, we just, we thank you for um, who you are. We thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you that in the midst of not deserving it and, and being um, going our own way, doing our own thing, not even thinking about you, that God, even in the midst of all of that, you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us on the cross. That you sent him to have his body broken for us. And God, I know a lot of times we, we come to a moment like this and we remember a, a moment or a time in our life where, where we made a decision and said, I want to follow Jesus and maybe it's these times where we spend time together in communion where we think about the death of Jesus on the cross. But God, I pray that it would be something that we would be reminded of daily. That it would be something that affects the way we live. It affects the way we speak to one another. It affects the way that we act towards one another. God, that the, the death of Jesus on the cross and what, what he accomplished through that would be a daily reminder to us to die to ourselves and to live for you. And so, God, as we celebrate and remember communion together, God, may that just be a reminder to us of what Jesus did on the cross and be a reminder to us of, of the depth of our own sin, but also of the depth of your love and forgiveness. And so, God, as we take the bread, we just are reminded of what this means, of what Jesus did on the cross and how his body was broken for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
night before Jesus was crucified, he was gathered together with his disciples um, in an upper room, and they were celebrating the Passover meal. And a part of that Passover meal is a piece of unleavened bread. And, and Jesus took that bread, and he, it says he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he gave new meaning to this tradition that they had been doing for years. And he said to them, he said, this, this is my body. It represents my body that's broken for you, that will be broken for you. As often as you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray for the cup. Jesus, we thank you for what you did on the cross. Jesus, we remember the blood that you shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus, we don't, we don't hold that lightly, we don't take that lightly. But we come with thankful hearts, expressing gratitude and love to you for that sacrifice. Jesus, as we remember through this simple drink, as we remember the blood that you shed on the cross for us, may it help us to remember the depth of your love for us, but also the depth of your love for every single one around us. May we learn to share that love with them. We thank you for your blood shed on the cross. In Jesus' name.
later that same night, Jesus took the cup and he took something that was an old tradition and gave new meaning, new significance to it. And he said, this now represents my blood and the new covenant that I'm establishing with it. As often as you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we're humbled, we're amazed at who you are and the fact that you would die for us. So God, I pray that we would never take that for granted, that we would look to the cross daily as a reminder of what you did for us, but also as a reminder of how you want us to live in this world. And so God, um, we thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ and for its meaning for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Sam. Boy, on this Memorial Day weekend, as we observe communion together, there really is a, a double meaning to that, isn't there? Where we gather together to remember the great love shown to us through Jesus Christ and his sacrificial love poured out to us on the cross of Calvary. This is Memorial Day weekend, which uh, again is the informal kickoff of summer, but it's also a time in our nation's you know, history where we pause and think about those who have really paid the ultimate sacrifice, right, and laid down their lives in service of our country. And we just, well, I know there are people here whose lives have been affected by that and touched by that. And also know, too, that there are those here who have uh, served in our military or maybe even now are in service in the military or maybe you've got a son or daughter serving in the military. And so we recognize that. We recognize that uh, the freedoms that we have here in this nation to be able to worship like we are doing today, those are not free. They come with a cost. So let's go ahead. If you, uh, well, I covered a few categories there, that if you've lost someone in the service, if you yourself have served or have a loved one serving right now, would you stand? We just want to express our gratitude to you. Thank you, thank you. Um, boy, this really is a holiday weekend. I guess I'm gonna have to do this myself, so. <laughs> Golly. Yeah. I, I hope they saw that in the back, too. Um, Uh, one other story, this is a little impromptu. Last week here at uh, Hopevale, somewhere middle end of second service, there was a really severe accident that happened out on uh, Titabawasi, and uh, we can, it involved one of our regular attenders, and we can thankfully report that no one in the accident was seriously hurt. Um, you might have seen the vehicles, they were really banged up, and I actually saw, Ken, are you here? Did I see you over here? 
Yeah, there's Ken. He, God spared his life. I mean, really, it's, we thank God. We, what, uh, wow. I mean, the images were really graphic, and so we're grateful. Grateful to the Lord. Praise God. Excellent. So, um, so in the, in, in the message last week, and I had to change this after the second service, we were talking about anger, and I said, you know, like when people cut you off in the church parking lot, and then <laughs> this happened, and I felt so bad, so I'm thankful that Ken's here. So we're in this anger series. It's been a few weeks now, and from the feedback I'm hearing, it sounds like it is connecting with a lot of you, and yet if you think about it, it makes sense, because not a day goes by, right? when we don't get angry, mad, upset, or at least frustrated, irritated, annoyed at something or someone. But if you're going to make it in this world, if you're going to get along with people, if you're going to grow as a Christian, then the question is not, will I get angry, but rather, how can my anger become more righteous and less selfish? Now, hopefully these last four weeks have given you uh, help in laying a biblical foundation from which you can work from. And by the way, if you missed any of those, you can always watch the previous messages on our website or through our mobile app. But today, as we continue on, and with this being Memorial Day weekend, I thought we would tackle an aspect of anger that to me, I think, is highly underrated, and that is the past. The past, your past, my past, the people, the places, the events, the experiences that have shaped and influenced who we've actually become for better or for worse. And I use the word uh, underrated to describe the past relative to anger because the past really isn't something we want to give much thought to. After all, why should we keep looking back when there's so much life to live ahead of us, right? Right? And yet it's unrecognized, unresolved anger from something that's happened to us in the past, even years back, that can often be the single biggest factor that determines the quality and direction of our life. It's true. It is, even though we might not realize that's what's really going on with us. And see, when you get angry over some provocation, some trigger event that's just happened to you in the moment, you know it, right? You know what's happened. Your pulse goes up, your heart beats faster, your teeth clench tighter, your mind races all over the place. Those are just, you know, some of the emotional and physical effects of anger in the present. But the past, that's different especially as weeks and months and even years go by, right? No one can ever keep on living at such a high level of rage, and so the physical and emotional intensity of anger wanes over time. And yet as this outward effect goes, you know, kind of down, that anger remains unaddressed, and the problems don't go away, right? They don't. No, it just morphs into something else that is more disguised and it's harder to detect. And I realize that when I talk about the past like this, some of you are probably like rolling your eyes, you know, at least on the inside, right? You're thinking to yourself, okay, here we go, right? Bring it on, bunch of pop psychology. I know what he's going to say. He's going to tell us that we're not to blame for any of our problems. It's really our parents' fault. They had only gotten us that present we really wanted when we were five. We would have turned out better, right? We would have moved out of the basement by now, right? You know, I mean, it's just all that. And so you look around, you see a bunch of people who refuse to take any responsibility for their lives. They go around blaming other people for their woes, and you just can't stand it. 
That's why you get cynical when someone wants to bring up the past. And, you know, when it comes to the past, here's what you need to know about me. I kind of feel that way too. I do. There are times that I can get really ticked off at people who play the victim card all the time, right? It's never their fault that someone else did this to them. And maybe you know people like that too, and you feel the same way, right? And so when we talk about anger in the past, this isn't about handing out free passes to everyone so they can do whatever they want and never be responsible for their actions. No, that's not what today's going to be about. But what I do want to say about the past is this, that in my many years as a pastor, both studying the Bible and counseling people, I have learned this about the past over and over again. Here it is, that the past doesn't excuse our behavior, but the past can help explain our behavior. There's a difference. Not excuse, but explain. So this isn't about excusing, no way. And I mean, there's not a single passage in the Bible that even suggests that if these certain things have happened to us, no matter how horrible they might be, that God then is just going to hold us to a lesser standard of accountability. That he's going to turn the other way if we continue on in our sin and selfishness. As if he says, you know, I don't like what they're doing either, but if you've only known what they've been through, you know, you'll understand why I'm letting it slide for them, right? No, God doesn't operate that way. No, he certainly is empathetic. He is compassionate. But he is also holy. He is just. And, you know, those things don't cancel out each other. And so as rough as someone's background might be, God doesn't turn the other way and pretend that behavior doesn't matter. And so the past doesn't excuse our behavior, but still the past can help explain our behavior. It can, and it's no small thing. And so, while I identify with the stiff upper lift crowd here, you know, suck it up, move on, I also realize that try as we may, we cannot ever completely escape our past. That there's no amount of ultra-positive thinking or mega-motivational techniques that will erase the things that have happened to us. I came across this from an American novelist, Sarah Dessa, and I think she nails it when she writes, your past is always your past. Even if you forget it, it remembers you. It remembers you, that you can run from your past, but you can never escape from your past. Now, I know that when I bring up the past like this in a crowd this size, that I'm touching on some pretty sensitive stuff. I do. Now, without knowing any details, I am sure that there are some personal stories in here that would make us gasp in shock, that would make us shudder in horror, that would make us weep with sadness over what has happened to some of you in the past. Abuse, assault, abandonment, you name it. And so believe me when I say that, I don't take any of that lightly. And believe me when I also say that I think I understand why you would want to keep that kind of stuff buried in the past and never have to face it again. I do, because just the thought of it can be so overwhelming. But here's what I want to say to you, that there is a difference between coping and curing. There's a difference between coping and curing. Coping helps us get by. Curing helps us to get beyond. And so when it comes to the past, some of you have had, you know, by necessity, you've had to develop certain coping mechanisms to try to avoid the pain of what's happened to you so you can keep on living in a kind of survival mode of existence, right? Now, when it comes to traumatic life events, I do believe that there is a place for coping, for getting by in the moment. Otherwise, you would just be crushed, right? But coping isn't curing. Coping just tries to manage or minimize the effects of trauma, but coping never brings healing. This, by the way, is where people get messed up with things like, 
you know, prescription drugs and meds and things like that. They can help you cope after you've been traumatized, you know, intense painkillers after an accident, right? And there is a place for that. I'm not saying there's not, but make no mistake about it. They're not going to heal you, whatever damage is done to you. That's coping, but that's not curing. And so when traumatic things happen to us in the past, maybe we lost a sibling at a really young age. Maybe we experienced constant put-downs and verbal abuse from a parent. Maybe we were inappropriately touched by a relative and made to feel like it was our fault. Maybe we were frequently bullied by our classmates over a long period of time. Whatever it was, chances are we've tried all sorts of things to be able to cope the best we could. And yet maybe the one thing we never did is that we never got angry. We never got mad. We never got upset that this unjust, undeserved, unrighteous thing happened to us. And so because of that, maybe we've been coping, but we've never been cured. And to me, this is where there is great value in us looking back in the past. There is, because I think God has so much more in store for us than just getting by, right? Getting by day by day. I also believe that as painful as an impossible as it might be for some of us to revisit the past, that God is always with us and that God can give us the strength that we need to do what we could have never imagined facing and overcoming by ourselves. And so today, that's where we're going to go. And to lay out a roadmap, I want to talk about five steps, okay? Five steps we can take to overcome anger issues from our past. Now, let me be clear. Life is hard. I don't believe in magic formulas, okay? So when I use a phrase like five steps... I mean, don't think like this is going to be something that's easy, something you can knock off in a week's time, okay? No, this is hard stuff, but I also believe that it's worth it. It really is. Because any time that you and I desire to trust and obey God with an area of our lives like this one, anger in our past, that God's going to give us the grace, the strength we need for the challenge. He will. And so as we go through this today, I just want you to be open, right? to how the Lord wants to speak to you and how he wants to lead you forward. So here we go, five steps to overcoming anger from our past. Step number one is simply this, face the past. Face the past. I mentioned this first step for a lot of us because, you know, our approach to the past goes something like this. Well, the past is just the past, right? It is what it is. Why bother going back there again? What difference is it going to make anyways? There's nothing I can do about it now, right? Some of us think that. And so as much as we would like to hop into our DeLorean, fire up the flux capacitor with 1.21 gigawatts of power and go back in time and undo what has been done to us, we know, it's not just, we know it's not possible, right? So can't we just leave it alone? Well, here's what I want to say to that. While we can't change the events of our past, God can change the effects of our past, and specifically the effects of the past on us. And so this is where I want to talk more about anger, Okay. See, over the last couple weeks, you've heard me talk about our selfish, our unrighteous anger, how we get angry over the wrong things for the wrong reasons and the damage that can do to other people and to ourselves. And so if we're honest, I think we can all see that quality in us. That's why we feel the need to grow and to change. But you know what else can be equally damaging? Not getting angry over the right things for the right reasons. That's damaging. To ignore the genuine impact of unrighteous, malicious, evil things done to us and said about us. And so when we go on pretending like nothing ever happened, we deny our humanity, that sense of justice in us, which is a reflected, re- reflection of God's image. Remember, what I've said before in this series, not all of our anger is bad. 
And so if we think we're better off just trying to forget past life events that legitimately are cause for righteous anger, we're actually going to do ourselves more harm than good in the long run. You know, the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament confronted false religious leaders who proclaimed peace, peace, when in fact there was no peace. He condemned them for glossing over serious problems that were among God's people. And so to go through life saying everything's fine when it's not is both superficial and detrimental. And so when it comes to issues of anger, what does it mean for us to face the past? Well, let me just start off by giving you a couple things that this doesn't mean. First of all, it doesn't mean you're looking for something that isn't there, okay? Everyone here has a different past, and the truth is maybe some of you don't have this big unresolved issue of anger that is smoldering under the surface. So don't feel like you've got to make something up, right? Similarly, facing the past doesn't mean drudging up these petty grudges you've been holding on to for years where, truth be told, you're equally to blame for them, right? And that's not what we're talking about either. Rather, facing the past just means prayerfully, consciously going back in time, identifying those specific events from your past where you suffered. You suffered at the hands of someone else's cruelty and selfishness, and yet by the same token, you didn't give yourself permission to get upset, to get righteously angry about what happened to you. Now, to do this well, you're going to need things like time and prayer and solitude, So get alone, ask God for his insights, and just be open to what he brings to mind. And as he does, go ahead and and write it down. To help with this process, Christian author and counselor Gary Chapman mentions a couple simple questions we can ask here, right? Who are the people who have done me wrong and what have they done? Who are these people and what have they done? And as you go through that process, don't be quick to edit, okay? Quick to dismiss quick to explain things away, right? No, just write everything down at first, and then you can go back and see what sticks and what's still standing. Face the past. Identify the events and people associated with those legitimate wrongs, and give yourself the freedom to be angry about it. That's the first step. Here's the second. Feel the hurt, right? Feel the hurt, which, by the way, is different than feel the burn. Okay, that's a different message, okay? Feel the hurt. And I know when I say feel the hurt, it sounds to a bunch of you like we're getting into the touchy-feely zone. You don't want to go there. You think it's a bunch of hogwash, but hang with me for a minute, right? When we have been wronged by someone else, when they have defiantly gone against God's command to love their neighbor as themselves, and instead of selfishly harmed us, they've stolen something from us precious like our trust, our innocence, our dignity, our sense of self-worth, our need for love and protection, whatever it is, when that gets taken from us all because they wanted what we had and didn't care how it impacted us, when something like that happens to you, you can't help but be affected. That's what it is to be human. And so when we talk about feeling the hurt, there are these two emotions, there are these two experiences that go hand in hand, anger and grief. Anger and grief. Anger over the injustice, grief over the loss. I am so mad that this happened to me, and I am so sad that this happened to me. Both of these, anger and grief, are needed and necessary, and it's okay to go there even if it feels messy and unpolished. You see this with Jesus He weeps at the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus. 
or when he cries out in agony on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus is anything but a straight-faced stoic. He enters the emotions of the moment, and we as his followers are invited to live the same way. Now, emotions are scary, though, right? I get that. They're scary because they're hard to control, and so some of us don't want to go there because we think all the anger and all the sadness will overwhelm us. It'll send us into this tailspin. Again, this is where we need to bring in others. We need to bring in God who, who can help us work through this. And by the way, work through is different than rush through, right? You've got to give yourself time to experience the full force of whatever anger and grief you've got. But as you do this, I've got to warn you. See, here's the tricky part. When you have the courage to go back to the past, to face the past, to feel the hurt, things are going to feel like they're getting worse, not better. Worse, you're going to tap into that old memory. It's going to keep making you upset or depressed. And so you're going to begin to doubt, why did I even bother to do this in the first place? My life was fine the way it was before. Not only that, but you might have other people coming up to you and say things like, what's wrong? Are you okay? You don't seem like yourself. Or they might even throw in, why don't you just snap out of it or something, right? Because you feel like you just can't take it, right? But listen, as hard as these first two steps are, this is what you need to do to go from coping to curing. And so that whole you don't seem like yourself is really just you don't seem like the compliant coping person I'm used to. And so yes, it might seem like it's getting worse, not better, but you got to refuse to go back to a compromised life, whatever form you've been living. God has so much more in store for us than just getting by, but it's not going to be easy, right? And so by his grace, we face the past. By his grace, we feel the hurt. Third, by his grace, we feel free the offense, right? Free the offense. You've gone back. You've opened the door to your past. You've identified the people, the events behind those unaddressed, unresolved sources of anger. You're upset over the injustice. You are mournful over the loss. It hasn't been easy, but it's been necessary. It's been very human for you to go through all that, right? And so now you're at this point like, well, what am I supposed to do with all this? I've opened, you know, the closet full of junk. It's all fallen out, right? You can't go back in time and change what happened. But with all that anger, all that justified grief, it's got to go somewhere. And the temptation at this point is revenge, right? It's revenge. It's vigilante justice. It's taking matters into your own hands and making people pay for how they've wronged you. When you crack the door to the past, when you tap into all that emotion, that's going to be your natural response. Justice must be served. You're so upset that this victimizer has gotten away with everything at your expense and you feel like something's got to be done. Well, if that's where you're at, right feeling, wrong response, okay? Right feeling, wrong response. Listen, justice does need need to be served. The question is, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? And the answer for the believer in Jesus Christ has got to be God, right? For us, it's got to be him. And this is where the realness of Scripture comes in. See, the Bible doesn't deny the reality that you're going to feel things like this. And so when you do, it doesn't make you a bad person. No, the badness comes in when you try to take things into your own hands and leave God out of the equation. And so the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 gives us this advice. Do not repay Anyone, evil for evil, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room 
Leave room for God's wrath, his righteous anger, his justice. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. God says to us, trust me, I've got this one. No one's getting away with any evil or injustice under my watch. You know, as I was thinking about this passage this week, it dawned on me that I think there are a lot of Christians who are much more willing to trust in the love of God than they are the justice of God. Can I say that again? I think there are a lot more Christians who are much more willing to trust in the love of God than the justice of God. And so they're all like, God loves me, Jesus died for me, I'm forgiven, and all that. True statements, right? But then in the same breath, they're so worked up about what everyone else is getting away with and how no one else seems to care. Then you read a passage like this, and it's clear. God's telling us, get out of the revenge business and leave the justice up to me. You can trust me. And so on a personal and a practical level, this is the time we need to let go of the offense. We need to let go of the anger. We need to let go of the hurt and give it over to God. We need to release what's been done to us and put it in his hands. Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes that anger resides in the lap of fools. And so when you crack the door to anger, but you leave it hanging around, nothing good is ever going to come from it. There's got to be this conscious, there's got to be this intentional release of the offense. Now this too is a matter of specific prayer. It's where we go to God, it's where we name the offense, we name the offender, we tell him what has happened to us wasn't right that it wasn't our fault, that we didn't do anything wrong to deserve it. We express our anger. We express that hurt to the Lord, and we trust him, right? We trust him as our judge. We trust him as our advocate, and we trust him as our healer. Free the offense. One quick side note, and then we'll move on. When it comes to matters of justice, there is a right place at times for seeking recourse on a human level in certain situations, right? of working with civil agents to make sure some crimes aren't repeated. Now, I'm not talking about being sue happy and taking everyone to court. I'm not talking about hiring a lawyer every time to get revenge. But on the flip side, there are going to be those times when legal action is right and necessary, right? But it's something we do as a complement to us ultimately trusting in God's justice, okay? A couple more. Number four, forgive the offender. Forgive the offender. You know, you go down this list and it keeps on getting harder, right? Letting go of the offense might be one thing, but forgiving the offender, for some of us, that's just a huge leap. You gotta be kidding me, right? You don't know what they've done. You don't know how badly they've hurt me, and you know what, you're right, I don't. But Jesus does. Our Savior, he knows firsthand what it is in ways that we'll never experience to be unjustly, unrighteously, undeservedly wronged by others, so much so it led him to his own death on the cross at the hands of evil men. If anyone ever deserved to hold on to a grudge, it was Jesus. And yet in one of the most stunning statements ever recorded in Scripture, after he had been torturously hanging on the cross for hours, he prays to his heavenly Father these words, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. I mean, really, who could possibly pray that way in a moment like that? Well, Jesus can, and he did. And in praying that, you know, he's, by the way, not just talking about those who are directly involved in the crucifixion. In another sense, he's also talking about us. 
It's talking about anyone who's ever lived who has selfishly defined God's authority over their lives. Father, forgive them, he prays. That's exactly what we're observing when we take communion like we did today. So what then is forgiveness? Well, I've defined it this way before, that forgiveness is giving up the right to get even and trusting God instead. Giving up the right to get even and trusting God instead. See, forgiveness, true forgiveness, doesn't um, deny or downplay that a wrong has happened. No, it recognizes it. But it means that you're letting it go. You're trusting God to sort out the justice. So that when you forgive, you are no longer holding on to the offense against that other person. Then over time, guess what? The offense is no longer going to have a hold on you. Let's be clear. Forgiveness isn't easy. Forgiveness doesn't come naturally. I truly believe that forgiveness is a supernatural act, that it takes design, divine strength to make it happen. But forgiveness is possible for us as Christians because we ourselves have first been forgiven by God through his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, when we read in the Bible to forgive others, it's usually tied to us being forgiven by God. Colossians 3, verse 13. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive other people just as the Lord has forgiven you. Express to others the forgiveness that you have experienced from the Lord. Now, forgiveness begins with the decision of the will. You are choosing to forgive your offender because God commands it, not because the other person deserves it, okay? Not because they've even asked for it. As a matter of fact, forgiveness rarely has anything to do with the other person right? and, and how they act. Now, if they're truly repentant, if they ask for our forgiveness, then it challenges us to respond. But I found that that's usually the exception, not the rule. No, choosing to forgive starts between us and God. And so while it takes two people to reconcile a broken relationship, it only takes one person to forgive an offender. And so it begins with this choice of the will. But then it usually takes some time where we feel like we've truly forgiven them. You know, it's more than likely that even after you've initially decided to forgive someone, you're still going to have to work through lingering anger. And that's okay. You know, those leftover emotions, those don't make you a hypocrite doesn't mean you didn't truly forgive them. No, that anger is just there to remind you that the hurt was real. Oh, and one other thing, forgiveness doesn't necessarily, you know, restore trust between two people. Actually, in some situations, depending on the severity of the wrongs done to you, maybe the biblically wisest thing for you to do might mean that you never see that person again. Really. It's not out of a grudge. It's for your best. doesn't mean you haven't forgiven them. It just means you've released them over to God and that you are moving forward with your life. Forgive the offender. Four down, one to go. Here's the last one. Find the freedom. Find the freedom. You know, this last one isn't even so much a step as it is a blessing, right? It's a positive consequence. It's an eventual result that if we can, by the grace of God, travel down the hard road of these first four steps, then we're going to see God at work. We're going to see God bringing us a freedom to our past and that anger, unlike anything we've ever known before. It's true. And so when we can confront our own anger issues from the past in a godly fashion like this, then we're going to see things like bitterness and resentment, grudges and revenge. They're going to begin to fade away, and the control that they've had on our lives will finally be broken. 
This is what the power of God and the love of Jesus can do for us. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so those are our five steps. Face the past, feel the hurt, free the offense, forgive the offender, and find the freedom that because of Jesus we can be delivered from the grip of past anger. We can be led into new places of victory and joy, that with God it is possible. Well, just as I wrap up, I want to touch on something I said earlier, then I'll close. You know, toward the beginning of the message, I made the comment that we can't escape our past, and we can't escape it. And, you know, even after going through this, I still believe that's true. But here's something else that you need to know. Even better than escaping your past, God is able to redeem your past. Redeem your past. When I say God redeems your past, it means that he can take the bad that's happened to you and use it for the good, both your good and the good of others. You see this with Joseph in the Old Testament, after years being betrayed by his brothers. You see this with Jesus and what happens through his death where the darkest of Fridays turns into the brightest of Sundays. And even today, this almighty, all-loving God of ours is still taking the worst of our worst and turning it into the best for our best. And I think Pastor Rick Warren is right when he says we are products of our past, but we don't have to be prisoners of it. And I think that's especially true with how we deal with our anger and over what's been done to us in the past. And so while we may not, we may not ever fully understand why God allows certain people to be able to do harmful things to others, to us, we can be absolutely confident that those harmful things don't have to have the final say in our lives. They don't, because Jesus, he is our redeemer and we can find our strength, our hope in him and him alone. Let's pray together. God, when we tackle a message like this, especially in light of communion, we don't look inward at our lives. We don't look outward at others. We look upward to you. We look to Jesus. We look to the one who, hanging on the cross in such pain and agony, is able out of a deep well of love that you have for him, able to say, Father, forgive them. And God, we want to be able to get to that place. We can't do it on our own, but we look to you. And Father, I pray specifically for people in this room who for months or years have been so hurt by others but they've never cracked the door to righteous anger they've never grieved over the loss they've experienced and pray you would invite them into this place of health and life and experience what you Jesus can do for them because God whatever the, the wrong the harm that's been done to us you're bigger than that. You're stronger than that. And Jesus, you're our redeemer. So do your redeeming work in us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.
we will stand today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Next week, we will continue on with our anger series by talking about dealing with angry people in our lives. Not necessarily those next to you, just those in your life in general. As you go from here, may you go in the power of Christ. God bless you.